everybody! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. I'm so excited for N-Hyphen's comeback, Orange Blood, and they've already released so much content for it with this teaser video, short film, other teaser videos, pictures, etc. that I thought, you know what? Let's do a two-part review. So this is your preview, then the review will come out later in the month. So this is your primer to prepare for Orange Blood. Let's break it all down. N hyphen as usual, put me down research rabbit holes and I report back to you what I found in past N hyphen episodes. It's been the story of David and Goliath, Shakespeare, The Great Gatsby, different poems, Bach, The Dance of Death's History. They really put me down so many research rabbit holes. And they did again because this era is very inspired by religion. Love how much they feed my curiosity about the world period. So let's get into it. But first of all, a few things. You might as well know my bias or lack thereof. I am kind of spiritual. I believe in certain higher powers and stuff, but I don't associate with any specific religion. So I may say some things that come across as really ignorant, and I apologize for that. I really try to represent this stuff fairly. I try to practice pronouncing stuff too, so I really do apologize if I get a, an interpretation skewed or I pronounce something wrong. This is my outsider read on the religious application to their story. So I'm trying hard to get the substance and essence of the premise right, but if you are a practicing Buddhist or Hindu or other religion that you see parallels in with this story, please feel free to humble me and redirect me. And I'll include your comments then in the post-release episode. So this is my assessment I'm not an authority by any means on this. But again, I really love and appreciate the way my curiosity is fed within Hyphen's comebacks because we get this incredible range of things to learn about each time. Let's move on then and get to talking about the terms they chose for versions of the album. There are three versions of the album Orange Blood. One is the Engine version, named after the fandom. Then there's the Kalpa version and the Kesana version. I believe it's pronounced more like Kusana, with the K sound way faster. First, let's talk about a Kalpa. This is a part of Hinduism, but it's also a term in Buddhism. A Kalpa is a very long period of time, to put it mildly. The most infinite, giant eon-spanning, world-spanning amount of time. The biggest period of time. Bringing new meaning to the phrase that was ages ago. This is like the longest measurement of time imaginable. It's often referred to in both Hinduism and Buddhism as this representative term for the time between worlds, the creation of one, the recreation of a new one. It derives from words for prepare, form, compose, invent, create, etc. In Hinduism, a kalpa is 4.32 billion years long. One kalpa, 4.32 billion years. And it ends with the world being destroyed, burning up in flames. In Buddhism, kind of a similar concept, all the lower levels, the lower tiers of existence basically, are destroyed by fire when the Kalpa ends, aka the seven suns. The fire is like the seven suns doing. A kalpa is not always the exact same period, so they have different time lengths. There are actually four different lengths of kalpas, and it's always super ambiguous what the lengths even are. 
Buddha gives an analogy of counting sand, saying if you were to count every individual grain of sand, that number, whatever number it is, would still be less than the number of kalpas that have occurred. Again, kind of ambiguous to interpret, but it's a big number no matter what length we're talking about. And it gives new meaning to the sand that is a part of the N-hyphen Orange Blood Era teasers. By the way, monks wear orange robes, and orange does have this big religious symbolism. Lots of religions view oranges representing good things. Purity, fire, burning to emerge out of the ashes, start anew, etc. It's a highly symbolic color choice. A capitita refers to one who has gone beyond time. That's the term for it. The other Sanskrit word in Buddhism for a measurement of time is the total opposite, a kesana. It's also the name of an asteroid, but that's neither here nor there. A kesana is a term in Buddhism for something totally different than a kalpa. I don't want to say the opposite because it's kind of a misconception, a misinterpretation to portray kalpas and kesanas as polar opposites. Because they actually, thematically, they're very intertwined. They affect each other. So don't use the word opposite, but it seems like that. Meaning a kalpa is the biggest length of time you could imagine. And a kesana is the shortest. It is a blip mini nano of a nanosecond, like so abruptly a blip in time that your mind can't process what happened. So a million things could happen in your psyche, your subconscious mind, during those blips. Life in a second, but you know, it's not a second, it's shorter, but it's that concept. Technically in Buddhism, a kesana is 1 75th of a second. And they often refer to three times, sometimes a fourth, referred to as the timeless time. One school of Buddhism at least goes there, but put that aside for now. Three main times, past, present, and future, is how some people simplify it. The number three is really big here, so keep that in mind. The former day refers to the 1,000-year period post-Buddha, when Dharma is taught and practiced correctly. Everything's as it should be. The middle day refers to the next 1,000 years when Dharma is still taught and practiced, but superficially, not the way it's supposed to be. Former day, middle day, then latter day, L-A-T-T-E-R day, which lasts 10,000 years and involves the total degeneration of the Dharma. So it's as it should be, it gets more superficial, step three, it falls apart. N hyphen also happened to use quite a bit of number three significance, like the three X's in Paradox Invasion, a song about illogic being logic, flipping concepts like space and time totally around, expanding your view of the world. Related themes you'll see. This might also explain why their new song, Sweet Venom, comes in three different versions, so it has three spots in the tracklist. The version with Bella Porch, the OG version, the English version. And in Pass the Mic, You Stay is repeated three times in the chorus. Nirvana is often misconstrued. I will try my best not to do that. Its actual religious meaning is different from what we seem to be often associating the word with. Not just the band, of course, but nirvana is often a term for a state of euphoria, a state of perfection, feeling like you ascended in terms of slain, not spiritual context. But actually, nirvana refers to a total liberation, a total freedom, from this world. Like, it's not feeling like the things in your world are perfect. 
but you feel free from things around you, period. You don't concern yourself with that stuff. It comes from a Sanskrit word that translates to something along the lines of to extinguish, like to put out the flame. And it's not about putting out that flame, though. It's actually more like extinguishing your reliance on the cycle, breaking through the cycle of life, getting out of thought confines, mentally detaching from any sources of stress, dissatisfaction, pain, etc. The negative human experiences you separate yourself from, that freedom is a state of nirvana. And it is a state of mind. It's a process, but it's not a place. It's not like heaven. You don't go to nirvana. You kind of enter mentally into that realm. Nirvana is very linked to what's sometimes called the other of the two truths, samsara. And samsara is the process of creating places and becoming. So samsara is like step one, there's the number three again, in a three-step process. Creating and becoming, then wandering, and then nirvana is achieved. But again, it's not like the polarity you might assume between the shortest and longest lengths of time. Samsara and nirvana are not two ends of a process. They're very intertwined. Nirvana does have degrees to it, so sometimes a state of nirvana is just about truly feeling like things in your life no longer constrain you. You feel liberated from the social constructs of things like space and time that are actually more arbitrarily defined by societies than you think. So there's that nothing is set in stone, everything's a social construct attitude. But then a different type of nirvana is beyond that, viewing it as you don't even acknowledge that stuff at all. Like, it's not just you disregard social constructs, you are acting oblivious to them. They don't apply to you. Dharmakaya is when time disappears for you. So you're in a state of what they call absolute reality, as it truly is. The term means truth body of the Buddha. Buddhas are considered to have three different bodies. Dharmakaya is one of them, which refers to the universe's essence, the way everything is, the absolute reality. This is another thing they emphasize is not a state. It's not what you enter into. It is already imbued into everything. It's not a location. It's an inherent essence. So it's not like you opt in to it. It's just there. It's already there. So dharmakaya, the universe essence, nirmanakaya refers to your physical body. That's just one body, one part of your existence. Then there is sambhogakaya, which refers to somewhere kind of between the two. Not your physical self, not your totally abstract self in a way, but somewhere between the two. All right, so kalpa, kesana, the three days, the three bodies, nirvana, and samsara, the two truths. Lastly, let's talk about Eihei Dogen, a Buddhist monk from Japan. He framed time and you as the same thing, like you are one with time. All things are one kind of an attitude. Definitely, as I was researching this, I thought about the book The Alchemist and the all things are one repeated comments. Dogen said, quote, time is not separate from you. If time keeps coming and going, you are the time being right now, unquote. Yeah, a new definition of for the time being, not referring to like a period of time, but you are the being who is time, time hyphen being, a noun. 
One question that nagged at him as he was studying religion is what was the point of practicing and studying it if the essence was already in him? Like, if it's a natural thing to have these forces at play, why would you need to do anything about it? And he came to the conclusion that practice is what actually makes that statement true. What activates, what manifests, what's already in the air is practice. There needs to be an effort to actualize that potential. Quote, realization is effort without desire, unquote. So realizing things about the world, it's about effort, but not desire, not for an end goal, just seeing things as they are, absolute reality. Now let's go back and look at the Orange Blood teaser content. They reference those fleeting moments in a teaser poster. Quote, fleeting moments of love accumulates in form eternity, unquote. The Sweet Venom Instagram teaser also seemed to kind of nod indirectly to that premise of nothing means anything. Like words are just what humans define them to be and some religions aspire to not get caught up in that. So the music store window says nothing. Literally, the word nothing, like the store is named nothing. They also seem to find freedom in not worrying about how fast or slow time is going. That sense of peace, nirvana, comes from not worrying about it. And if you're still like, what do you mean time is a thing you could just ignore? Well, think about like daylight savings time. That is a great example of time is an illusion. Like we just fictionally, as a society, mutually agree, okay, now it's this time, but we can change that. Or we could pass a law or always talk about passing the law and never pass the law to stop changing the time twice a year. Yes, we can change time like that. We define what it is. So stuff is there, but we're the ones who add meaning to them. So that's how you can kind of live outside of time. Keep in mind, late and early social constructs, that could be your next excuse. But really, it's about realizing nothing is too fast or too slow. Nothing is anything. It just is. Things just are. You are just the time being. So in one teaser picture, the text says, quote, Life is beautiful because nothing in it is everlasting, unquote. They have that sense of time passing, even outside of the term. It's just a lack of a better term to say time passing here. We'll get more to that later, but let's move on to the video teasers. The engine version just shows the guys in casual looks, chilling together, shooting hoops, taking pictures. They do a walk together by the lake at the end. One thing I would note is the yellow liquid in their wine glasses, because in the past they've had blue liquid, red, now it's yellow. Always seems significant, especially again because the color orange means a lot. And you could say that the blood, the red liquid, and what that represents, that whole side of them, you meet in the middle with orange when you kind of have a mix of red and yellow, a mix of the two worlds, a mix of two realms in a way. You'll notice the end of the comeback trailer says this story is taken from Dark Moon Two Moons. The subheading is Two Moons, referring to maybe two realms. 
That's also notable because the Webtoon teaser epilogue gave us a sneak peek at the next chapters of the Dark Moon Webtoon and confirmed the next installments are called Dark Moon, The Children of Vanfield, and then Dark Moon, Varger's Blood. So Dark Moon, Two Moons, that is not what they said. So that's either separate from what happens in the Webtoon, unrelated, or what I think is more likely the case, just part of the story simultaneously happening, but still related, just in a different format. We'll see. The Kalpa version of the teaser videos, they have this sandy surface they sit on. They walk through doorways, one doorway after another, that seems meaningful. And the posing by the doorways might have been an accidental throwback, because it made me think of their behavior in the Give and Taken and Drunk Dazed videos, mixed with the newest era in the Sacrifice video setting. Worlds are colliding here. I also think they nod to the Bite Me video again by choosing pearl jewelry, like the pearl-adorned attire from before. Then I would note the members end gathering around this plant with a single white flower growing out of it. So to recap, teaser text on pictures alluded to this concept of ruminating over the passage of time, what that even means, how to find your own state of bliss mentally. The engine video shows the members like the boys next door, but it does have a bit of symbolism with the yellow liquid, which is a contrast to their fancy-dressed vampire selves associated with red liquid. Then in Kalpa, remember the door frames, the sand, the merging of aesthetic details from different eras, the pearls, and the white flower. Now the Kaysena version of the teasers features the color orange as the opening background. There's a bunch of lightning, thunder, this car ride. It's both cute and deep that the clouds form hearts as do the lightning strikes. So the sky is full of love and terror with thunder and lightning. They are kind of contrasting the Kaysena to Kapla. Kapla is a big picture look visually at a state of kind of nirvana, whereas the Kesena is looking at all of the memories that can flash in front of your eyes in an instant. So they contrast it sonically to the Kapla video being a piano instrumental, pretty gentle, and then this soundtrack is just rattling, lightning, thunder, ominous stuff. Going back to a theme we just talked about, and one more soon, the theme of realizing they prefer to be mortal, not immortal, that theme is back in the highlight medley video. Because in Mortal, when that song is teased in that video, we see they're back in the setting from the Kalpa video. Mortal associated with a state of peace. Notably, the Sweet Venom teaser that had a nothing-means-anything message, which we also get from that irony in the title, Sweet and Venom. In the highlight medley, similar premise, back to the orange-tinted sky. So a message and a color, both having to do with that Buddhist belief system symbolically. You can check out the corresponding podcast episode or write-up about N-Hyphen's Fate World Tour for more, but just keep in mind, the Fate VCRs, they left off kind of where this concept trailer picks up. After they, in that VCR, were seen kind of bathing in orange water, like a rebirth was happening, a mixing religions now, but almost like a baptism, a christening. This Orange Blood short film starts with them emerging out of water, but this time it's washing ashore on a beach. There's the reference to sand again. 
and another reference to the sea, which they've also talked about at length in past monologues. Very symbolic for them. Interestingly, Suha, the main female character their fates are bound up in, long story short, in the webtoon and the video, she is there to help carry them to shore, to rescue them from this turbulent ocean. But she's gone when they're on shore, and they comfort each other without her there in kind of a group huddle. She later goes back with them for a scene I do think is symbolic, but I'm not quite sure how yet. They all team up and put all these multicolored flowers in a tarp and prepare to throw it into the ocean, it seems. Here's my theory about the action that unfolds. It seems like the members chose mortality. Like I talked about in the past on the show, and I will again even more in a second, sorry I keep saying that, they really, their story really, I admire for tackling the concept of time and eternity with vampires. Like, their concept is not just a gimmicky, superficial, sexy vampire concept. This is a really deep story, so many layers to it. They chose vampires, I think, for a much deeper reason, because it really adds to this rich story telling about human behavior and fate and all that stuff. Vampires really are just a great touchstone for a conversation about the meaning of life because they live forever. When you have a sense of time is infinite, do you feel the same pull, same sways over your behavior now? I'm going to skip to a part of an essay I wrote, breaking down in Hyphen's whole discography, that I can put in the show notes as well. In that essay, I wrote that N. Hyphen talk about being humbled by mortality. Immortality made them greedy, blinded by riches. It gave them a sense of invincibility, and with that came an unearned ego boost. Is it worth feeling invincible if it comes at the cost of getting super egocentric? Quote, vampires are the tool N hyphen used to demonstrate the high cost of immortality. If one feels like one's time left on earth is infinite, why wouldn't one feel like everything is theirs for the taking? Why wouldn't one feel no obligation to build up good karma? Why wouldn't one disregard humans and see them as inferior? With immortality comes the realization that one is isolated from society in ways that reveal themselves to be curses more often than blessings." Unquote. In other words, why would they care about anything of this world if they were immortal? And they realize, and Sue has helped teach them, they do care about this world and the people in it. So my theory is that as we see them throughout this concept trailer, this short film, just being like normal people, they are. Like, in this realm, one of the two moons, one of the two worlds maybe, they are human, or at least pretending to be. Just walking on the beach, having that campfire together, running around laughing, driving with the top down, just having a good laid-back summer day, or just sunny day, but a good day. They're in these bright yellow flower fields, lots of picturesque moments. Jay sees a cut on his arm, a bloody wound, and he just kind of smiles about it. And I think that's because he's elated that he doesn't feel the old instinct of trying to suck up blood or otherwise be affected negatively by the sight of it. Like the fact he can just go on with his day brings him joy. Or just the fact he got wounded, period. Now he can have physical markers of his fallibility. So I just think they're really enjoying their time as humans. The here and now feels more special to them because they don't have forever. And that's why they just say YOLO and some of them go cliff diving. 
suddenly everything changes. The, what I think are bad flashbacks, bad memories, will not leave them alone. So the serene scenes are replaced with a, what I think is a flashback, and this old tiny house Suha appears in the windows of. So she's trapped in the house, screaming, banging on the window, wanting help. Sanyu is the one who sees her there and looks so distraught because he can't help her. He can't hear her and he can't do anything. Notably, Sanyu woke up alone near, I think, where the campfire was, but now there's just a dying flame left burning. So he gets up from the site and not far away sees her trapped in that house. The house erupts into flames, but then behind him appears Suha, maybe one from the other world, because this one looks sinister, this evil look in her eyes and on her face, very strange. It seems like as a world is burned up, a new one is born. So as Suha, the mortal one, is trapped in a burning building, this one is thriving, is reborn, comes out of the ashes, and she bites him. Some of the others appear standing around the burning house eventually too, notably five of them. Five of the seven appear by the house. This reminds me of in the Manifesto era. They had a scene with gathering in a group and only six showed up. So then there were five. Yikes. The end credits have many notable details to stop and think about. The art supplies are there, like they were in a VCR. In the tour VCR, they had a scene where it was like their equivalent of heaven or paradise, a picturesque space which included statues and art supplies, a special museum of their own. And now we're back to seeing art supplies and statues, plus more yellow flowers, smoke emanating from an unknown source, Broken off tree branches, reminding me of in the live show, the storm had the trees whipping wildly, menacingly. An ant or a spider, some sort of insect, a map, an open journal, and a magnifying glass. Stuff to note for later. So basically, that short film shows you them having a nice day, and then a flashback intrudes, and it's not a nice day, and something is extinguished, and a new era seems to have started, with many hints apparent that nod back to past eras. So the old world, not fully severed. Again, these concepts that are viewed as opposites, their story always points out when that's not the case. I mean, think about all the hyphen eras, given or taken, us or the others, mortal, immortal, the words they had on screen in past videos, and the main buzzwords that were hyphenated implied they were polar opposites, but then the stories, the videos themselves, showed the ways they're way more linked than they thought. Although the hyphens are done being a part of their story, at least with the song titles, I would say still keep in mind the parentheticals in their song titles. And I have a theory that maybe there are five so far, and I think there might be a symbolic seven total. The seven sons and the seven members. Because so far we've had 20 cube, pass the mic, that feeling when, eat me up, and you complete me. You never know, there could be two more and they tell a story. That's on orange flower, you complete me. We already talked about the orange symbolism. Other things I would note about this track list that are interesting. The song Still Monster, which brings to mind the Chacon lyric about being a monster. They considered themselves one then, despite burning, quote, brighter than the sun, unquote. 
And note the fact the tracklist commentary, we're describing it as having a top note, middle note, and bass note, almost like a perfume. Three notes, the number three again, the top note being orange blood, the middle note being we are beautiful within mortality, and the bass note being love is more beautiful because it is not eternal. So backwards, that means base note, we appreciate this love more because it is not going to be here forever. Middle note, we are beautiful in this outlook. Top note, orange blood. Like that's the ideal, the third spiritual tier here. In a contrast to dark blood, but again, these things that seem like total juxtapositions are not as different as they seem on the surface. I'm going to go back to quoting myself and my essay about N hyphens whole discography so far. It'll be much faster than if I did bit by bit recap the whole thing for you. Here are the main points that are still super relevant to keep in mind. All direct quotes from me. Let's go. N hyphen are not telling a generic story that intrigues for its vampire theme and save the princess narrative. The story runs much deeper than that, encompassing the following and then some. The realizations they have more in common with their enemies than they think. True power does not come through material indulgences. And eternal life is no life at all if it lacks the inclusion of others. Episode 41 of Dark Moon contains a crucial scene for understanding Darden's motivations. Frantically poring over school library books, he seeks the recipe for absolute power. He has tried everything to woo Suha and is exasperated. I climbed my way up to become chancellor of this country, despite being born into a ruined family, and yet I still can't have you. He complains that the quote-unquote forbidden books are only given that label to hoard power away from people of his social status. In episode 50, after Darden is caught and caged, the vampire's former orphanage owner, she yells at him, Do you really think it's about ancestry? It's about preparedness. The royal family didn't inherit the powers because of their royal blood. The power succeeded by the royal family are only an outcome of their decency. It's something you can never get by hurting others or taking advantage of those working for you. Side note here, the way she said the power is not something you will have if your bloodline says so, that's pretty relevant again with this new era and that concept of things are here, but they're not actualized. They're not coming to fruition on their own. You need to practice these things for them to come about. You need to practice moral uses of power for moral uses of power to become available. Practice makes it legit, and Darden doesn't do that. Back to the essay. Darden equates power with worthiness. He assumes if one is drained of power, one becomes nothing. He expresses this back in episode 37 as he talks to an unconscious, captive Suha. Back then, you had power, and I had love. In this life, I hope I have power, and you have love. He views power and love as mutually exclusive, so by pursuing absolute power, he thinks he will no longer be racked by a need for love. He admits to Suha in episode 42, All I wanted was your love, but you wouldn't even look at me. Therefore, he doubles down on his quest for power, which he views as love's opposite. Darden fails to grasp that karma is not kind to those whose pursuit of their desires come at the expense of those of others. This is why Enhyphen's characters have the odds in their favor. They recognize that what they pursue will affect other people, so they pursue what will do the most good. They seek power not for power's sake or for wooing someone, but for protecting an entire population, keeping it out of Darden's clutches. 
A bright future awaits them if they live a life of service to both Suha and society overall. Fate includes this observation. Love became greed and erased itself. Trap me in ruins like the deep sea. Oblivion. Everything was the power I received from you. I grew up in an eternity that will soon return to you. I have to step in again to annotate myself. Love became greed and erased itself is one of the best lines in any N-Hyphen Sonner monologue, period. The way they say everything was power, everything was the way it was, it just made me think of this concept of assessing things in terms of essences over material and surface level descriptors. I would also note here, I foreshadowed a bit this new era by talking about the ways the story explores shades of gray between extremes and proves characters wrong who have black and white thinking. Love versus power, their story goes between those conceptualizations. Back to the essay. Enhaven's Border series is about running up against thought confines and taking stock of the limitations placed on oneself. From Choose Chosen, why do we desire what we cannot acquire? Why must we walk along an endless line? Later in the Border series, they ignore those restrictions and lean into a sense of entitlement. In Intro the Invitation, a voice entices them. Come inside the castle, take everything. The Dimension series furthers the theme of tantalizing vices. From Intro Whiteout, you can take anything you want, but nothing is free. In the Manifesto series, their newfound confidence inspires them to draw their own new borders on who they are and what they can do. They can start drafting their own futures, but they forget their fates are tied up with those of others. I thought I'd understand if I ran, but in the end, I didn't learn a thing. And hyphens selfish manifestos reveal enormous costs. Skipping down a bit, in Sacrifice, N-hyphen reference drinking from the river of Lethe. This refers to one of the rivers that surrounds Hades' underworld in Greek mythology. Drinking from that river leads to souls forgetting their past lives. The banks of a nearby river, Cocytus, are where souls wander for eternity if they cannot pay the ferryman's fee, one of the many bills they sing about not affording. A Dark Blood teaser poster reads, I became a cursed being who couldn't even die, but merely wander. You erased me. I struggled in the deep, terrifying darkness that was worse than hell. Side note here, the reference to couldn't die, merely wandered brings back to mind now the three-step process viewed as getting to nirvana and wandering comes first. I would also note the Lethe reference in the river, the river banks, being a key setting. We see that's not going away. Back to the essay. Skipping a bit, both in Hyphen and Darden auto-recognize deep-rooted emotional needs because supplanting them with material riches does not guarantee a better afterlife. The intro invitation monologue attests to the equalizing nature of time's passage. Time harmonizes laughs and screams. Okay, I have to interject again to point out the ways that time harmonizes laughs and screams theme was mentioned before. Like the monologue about the sun rises to menace and bless our fleshly selves. Almost referring to like one of the three bodies. The way the graffiti covered building now says nothing. And the graffiti covered place in a manifesto teaser said real. Quite a juxtaposition. 
again, that all things are one premise. When you don't think about time, everyone's equal. Everyone's here in equal amount of time. Everything kind of bleeds into each other. Next part of the essay, skipping down a bit, I talked about the dance of death on the show before. In that part of the essay, I talk about their reference in Chacon to the dance of death and how it humbled them to realize they face the same fate as everybody else. After attaining riches, it is very jolting when they are reminded that those material things have offered them no extra protection from death. Death does not pick and choose who to capture based on wealth or status. Death comes for all, and time stops for no one. This message rings loud and clear with this message from a Dark Blood teaser poster. Intoxicated by my own might, I've strayed from your light. This mystical strength, destined to last beyond time seem, oblivious to the illusions hold, I danced on. Chakun is a eulogy for the lives in hyphen had hoped to live and to coming to terms with the eternal tragedy they see fate is having in store for them. That's all I'll read from the essay here. It's on Substack now called Dark Blood and and hyphen's humbling journey. I'll link to it in the description too. That sums it up that this story is still about those themes of being humbled by time and kind of liking it. Things take on meaning because of their place in space and time. They continue to reflect, too, on the arbitrariness of many things of this world, the material riches and other temptations. What's real and lasting are not physical objects or money. What's real and lasting are, in the abstract, things in their mere essence, like love. Let's rewind back to this on foreshadow from the Manifesto era. Quote, I realized that moment that the infinitely deep, deep well of a shadow was a foreshadowing of things to come. Ushering the approaching rainstorm and typhoon is the fate of the person who sees it first. But would saying that it's merely a struggle to keep our promise strengthen the trust we shared? I realized ahead of time, I am no longer afraid. I chase after the shadow, run toward the new world I'll find. Till then, even though the world, shrouded in the shadow, might be cold, painful, and a little lonely, I'll be the first to sprint ahead because the one true ending, that splendid future, waits for us." Some more lyrics and commentary in their monologues from the past that I just want to flag again because they feel newly relevant. From Blessed Cursed, quote, We fade into reality. Between these lies, we dive into this real life. Goes on and on, unquote. The sun flicker is all about taking advantage of a flickering moment because it's going to go away before you know it. Upper Side Dreamin' is all about being afraid this dreamy haze you're in is going to disappear in a blink of an eye, in a nano-nanosecond. In Shoutout, quote, The fake paradigm that locked me up. Unquote. In karma, quote, across time and space, beyond probability, unquote. Plus, don't forget what seems newly important in hindsight are some moments from tour VCRs like the pocket watch appearing, Heesun's character replaced with a skeleton, the smoke emanating from places, the flames that engulf their old stomping grounds, the castle slash orphanage, the red liquid, the time floating in water, and after that rebirth in water, a tear streaks down Jun Won's face. Now he can, like Jay could, get a cut, he can get a tear, he can cry, he's human now. 
Basically, literally and figuratively, this story is about them finding what makes them human. Not cold and immortal, but people. Warm people. A super notable in hindsight VCR moment is when a flash of lightning triggers this blitz of images. Lightning, like in the concept videos, a blitz of images in a nano nanosecond, and the images themselves, including smoke, blood, and a spider or some other insect that we see again during the end credits. And then recall the Dark Blood short film, where that girl was seen screaming and crying for help, banging on the windows of a car. Not a house, but same kind of scenario. And one of the opening lines was, quote, This is a story about pride and oblivion, love and sacrifice and fate. If you wish to escape from this twist of fate, remember these two words, bite me, unquote. So if you want to escape this harrowing fate, this story of love, but also sacrifice and fear, bite me. Escape the downsides of life as a human by turning into a vampire, but you also then escape the upsides of that too. In the Dark Moon trailer, Suha bites some of them. Some it's alluded to, some overtly you see her do it, but she leaves some of them frozen on the ground, which is a flashback for a split second in the Orange Blood video too. There's a very powerful scene with Sunhoon, who encourages her to bite him, and she doesn't, so they just hold each other by the lake, and he dissolves into dust, these fragments that float away. He was there just for a second. Toward the end, they all stand together in front of this place in ruins, and separately, Suha's on the swing set, seeming genuinely happy, like that old world has crumbled and so a new world emerged. They realized what makes existence worthwhile are the human things in it, like this connection with people like they have with Suha. They said in that video, quote, You are the sun that lifted my darkness. Even if I were to be burnt by that light, I will wait for you all eternity, unquote. There's even much more I could say about what N-Hyphen is saying, but I think I'll let you ruminate about what we've covered so far, and I will talk more about the actual album, not just the pre-release stuff, when it's time for the Best of November episode. Spoiler alert, probably gonna pick N-Hyphen because their storytelling is so remarkable and detailed and worth appreciating. So thank you for hearing my thoughts and theories about this world so far. Very excited where it goes next. Thank you all so much for tuning in, as always, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!